It swings, it jives. Hey guys, welcome to another Queen Deep Dive. I am really excited about this episode today. I'm smiling massive, yes. I'm surprised how excited, elated I am to talk about this song. Because I'll be honest with you, when I started this dive, when I started researching it, listening to it over and over again for the millionth time, I didn't think I was going to discover so much about it that surprised me as much as it has. I didn't think I would be so impressed with this because I'm very familiar with it. Many of you probably are already as well. It feels a little bit like there's not a whole lot left to discover about this song but I did, and I'm excited to share it with you today. Ooh, this is going to be great. Oh. This is dive number 85, track number five on Queen's eighth album, The Game. Of course, released in 1980. This is a Freddie Mercury composition. And it was recorded June, July of 79. So a full year before the album was released, this was recorded. And more fun facts about this song in particular for the album, The Game. We'll get into it in a few moments here. This is, of course, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Ah, this song is such a gem. So loved, celebrated. Perhaps one of Freddie's most genius moments, in my opinion. I find this to be, in its brevity, one of the most solid numbers from the man. In fact, from Queen as a whole. I think the performance of the band here is solid, beyond solid. This convinces you, if there was any doubt, I think this song convinces you that they were capable of playing in any genre, every genre ever, <laughs> right? They could do it and then some. And for a band that was known to be quite bombastic and loud, tie your mother down. I mean, there's no shortage. <laughs> Death on two legs. There's no shortage of really aggressive, assertive, edgy, angry numbers. Hello, the entirety of the album News of the World, Queen's first major chip-on-the-shoulder album. But this is different. This has style. This is rockabilly. This is early rock and roll. Bluesy, boogie-woogie bass, John. Oh my goodness, his bass line's here to be celebrated. Fabulous, this song. It was released as a single, of course. October 12th in the UK, and December 7th in the US in 1979. So yeah, well, well before, well before the album The Game was released in the summer of 1980. And this song was huge. It was massive, especially in the US. Here is why. The song went to number two in the UK, but <gasps> it was number one in the United States. Their First, number one, can you believe after Killer Queen, after Bohemian Rhapsody, after We Will Rock You, 
This was their first number one in the U.S. I think We Will Rock You, what was it? The, the double A side, We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions, did hit number one on one of the charts, one of the playlists. Was it one of the hit lines on the U.S. at the time? It escapes me what it was. But this was their first official number one on the Hot 100. And it did so. It was number one for four consecutive weeks. It was also number one in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Mexico, and the Netherlands. So they made the rounds with this one. And here's the thing, you might be wondering, if you haven't listened to my full episode that kicked off the album The Game a few episodes ago, why was there such a gap between the release of this single, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, and the release of the album it was on, The Game, in 1980, in the summer of 1980? Well, The Game was made in two separate chunks, and in between those chunks, the boys were touring. They're Crazy Tour, which was a smaller venue tour, a very short, I almost said set list, (laughs) a very short list of gigs it was, but it was specifically meant to showcase their music, their performances, their amazingness to smaller audiences. They wanted to take it a different direction, so they did. And this song, of course, was just one of the reasons the game was so successful when it did come out in 1980. This song, I found the official Beats Per Minute as 77, which might be accurate on the sheet music, but honestly, I want to say, you know what? What's 77 doubled? 154? (laughs) I think that is actually the true Beats Per Minute because this has a jive. This is bopping. This, to me... When you hear the hand claps and the snares, those are on beats two and four. And if that's the case, we're at like 154 beats per minute, not 77. Take from that what you will. It is a 4-4 shuffle beat we're in, and the key is D major. There's some interesting structure with this key, though, we have Dorian inflections with modal chords, minor third vocals against the major third F sharp. So it also employs Aeolian mode, which borrows chords from the parallel minor key, which would be D minor, of course. So when you hear this song, it's brief, it's simple, not a lot of chords going on, but it's the accent notes that come in from Freddie on the vocals and even a little bit from Brian on guitar that give this those inflections and those chords that aren't within the typical basic D major scale. So some fascinating music theory for you there. Freddie writing this actually makes a whole lot of sense. If you remember, quite often during encores, he and the boys would play songs like Jailhouse Rock, which is in this same vein. So not a huge surprise. He was also a big fan of the genre as well. So I think this is something that naturally it would be in the back of his head all the time. I could imagine he would constantly be rocking out to or maybe singing out songs like this one, like Jailhouse Rock, et cetera. He joked he could always and only play three chords on guitar. In fact, I think it was Milton Keynes before he and the guys played the song. He said, 
what was it? He said back in, in 74 or whatever he said, I can only play three chords on guitar. And then he says, and now I can only play three chords on guitar. But this song actually employs six chords, six chords, just in case you're wondering. So Freddie was already more talented than he was making himself out to be. It's interesting because Freddie was always one to say, I won't be just a rock star. You know, I'm going to be a legend, that sort of thing. He was not really that humble in some ways. But then you get him talking about something like playing guitar, and he's incredibly modest about it. All of the guys have talked about how modest he was speaking to the skills he had on guitar. So it's just kind of interesting, that contrast of his attitude about his talents, his skills, what he was capable of. And I think it makes him all the more lovable. Crazy little thing called love is fear of commitment. I mean, all of these lyrics. (laughs) I ain't ready. Crazy little thing called love. Yeah, there's these constant allusions to, I cannot handle this. I can't handle love. And you know what that reminds me of? You know, what kind of reminds me of this and vice versa? There is a song from Bjork called Five Years. It's one of my favorites from her. It's incredibly loud and in your face. She screams in it a lot. And she sings things like, you can't handle love. You just can't handle love. I dare you to take me on. What are some of the other lyrics? Till after five years, if you live that long, you'll wake up all loveless. It is so brutal. And I absolutely adore that song because it's such an honest kiss-off number of, you can't handle this goodbye. (laughs) So the funny thing is, when I listen to that song or when I listen to Crazy Little Thing Called Love, for some reason, they remind me of each other. It's almost like, is Bjork singing? Would she actually sing this to someone like Freddie? (laughs) Or at least the narrator, Freddie, is putting himself in that role in this song of someone who can't handle it. And maybe in a way, there's some honesty to that statement. When I was reading all kinds of things about this song and trying to get every detail I could find, I came across some statements made by, I think it was Jim. I think it was Jim after Freddie and him had met. And this was after Freddie had passed when Jim made these statements. But he said that one thing when Freddie was in the late 70s going into the 80s there and things were really getting crazy and Freddie was having a lot of fun and you can imagine what that meant, especially in the physical intimacy realm, but he did. He was with a lot of different people and Jim talked about Fred's need for real love and appreciation. And there's statements from Freddie saying he was actually quite lonely. And I think about those very human statements and those very genuine expressions and confessions from this man who was extremely private in some respects, especially when it came to his love life and pretty much anything that wasn't centered around the music Queen was doing. He didn't want to talk about it much, but there's a lot of sensitivity and shyness and tenderness in this man. And I was reading those comments and stumbling across them as I was reading about this song, and it reminded me 
about Freddie's true attitude and demeanor and what he was really like off this stage. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot behind this song and there's probably a lot of honesty here. So I just, I think about that. <laughs> anyway, going back to that comparison between crazy little thing called love and then a song that's nothing like it called Five Years by Bjork. It just, I can imagine this very assertive, small, petite woman Bjork confronting someone like Freddie, who's just being honest and saying, I don't know if I can handle this intensity. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And she'd be all up in his face and saying, forget this. The places my imagination goes. Anyway, let's continue on. You guys, I have so much to share about this song. This is why I'm so excited. This is going to be, I think, a longer episode again. Here we go. Crazy little thing called Love. A rockabilly number that's so impressive, so natural in its delivery. It's really not uncommon for some listeners to think Elvis actually wrote this. I've read that, that there, there were discussions about how Elvis wrote this. And people forget that this was crafted, what was it, two years after Elvis died? And so uh, there, there's just this, this weird, I think people forget when this song came out, when this album came out. But no, Elvis did not write this. This was Freddie's number. And it was a crazy little thing called love. It's like this spur of the moment flash of genius from Freddie. He delivers a tender and crisp vocal. It's so effortless, soulful, a bluesy ease that convinces that he just walked out of a decade long ago. That's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. Is He sounds like he's been singing, performing this way forever. This is the first time we've had a song like this with such authentic throwback sound to that rockabilly, early rock and roll time. There's nothing else like this in Queen's catalog prior to this moment. And it's not just Freddie who nails this so perfectly. Every single one of the guys is absolutely on top of their game. John's boogie-woogie bass captures that jive with such flair, panache. And his playing is stylish and memorable here. Brian on that bright Telecaster for a change is still inescapably himself in lyrical delivery. That crooning solo, the accent riffs that dazzle, super snazzy, if I may say. Roger, carrying on that surprising restraint we've heard through most of the game's numbers so far. We haven't had the same loud, heavy drums from him on this album. It's such a departure, but he is. It's perfection. That minimalism is marked with his impeccable timing, that innate talent of perfect touch and attack on every snare, every cymbal, every fill. And like the others, he encapsulates this style with plenty of his own style. Together, Freddie, Brian, and Roger serenade in the backing vocals. Such a contrast against earlier numbers with wall-to-wall vocals, at least in approach. But this is all Freddie and his charming and impressive acoustic performance, wooing us with every lyrical confession. Even if he's admitting he can't handle love, we want it with him anyway. As I said, I think this just makes him more lovable, more, it just makes him more desirable in a way. So if you were, if, if Freddie was your favorite, 
at the time, <laughs> in the day when the guys were so big, I think this song would have been so endearing because you get him on guitar, you hear him singing in this tone that is very natural and a bit more laid back. It's in a lower register. So it sounds a little bit like Elvis. I think he pulls that off incredibly well here, Freddie does. And I gotta be honest, it is written that all three Freddie, Brian, and Roger supplied backing vocals. And maybe it's because the backing vocals are lower, but I swear this sounds like it's just Freddie. It sounds like it's just Freddie. And am I wrong, you guys? Is that wrong that all three of them supplied backing vocals? Because I wouldn't be surprised to know that, to learn that Freddie supplied every vocal on this recording. But maybe I'm wrong. Because when you compare the live performances to the studio cut, there's a lot of differences. And it's not just because you have less voices you're hearing. There's something else, the frequencies, the quality of the voice, the voices is very different. And we're going to go into live performances now. This was played 236 times from 79 to 86 and briefly, once in 2002. The first live performance of this was at Queen's first Ireland gig, the RDS Simmons Hall in Dublin. Despite Freddie's lacking guitar skills by his own admission, remember, but Brian and Roger had praised his playing countless times over the years. The guys wanted to do something different with this live. That's why Freddie came out there with an acoustic. They'd extend the song quite a bit, upwards of five minutes or more sometimes with a very rocky, rockier <laughs> outro. And it's just more awesomeness for all of us. It's repetitive, yes, but it's so much fun. This is tight. It's wrapped up in polished perfection on a stage. This is honestly one of the best queen songs on a stage. And I'm usually all about the loud, raucous, unrelenting rock numbers, like Tie Your Mother Down and Liar. I love songs like that live. I especially love Queen's early songs live because there is such an energy. But this is totally different, and yet I'm all for it on a stage. For all of Freddie's shortcomings on guitar, or so he thought, he sure nailed this performance. And he's totally comfortable singing while he's playing with a delivery that almost exceeds our expectations from the album cut. He croons and sweeps into his notes. He stylizes and gives a little more of that Elvis swagger, especially in the extended outros. We get a little bit of the thing going on, you know? We get, that was terrible, but we get a little bit of that Elvis swagger. He wows and we can't take our eyes or our ears off of him. But the other boys are just as impressive and so needed. John bops and dazzles with those bass lines that do more than just provide the root note of a chord. Always, that would be offensive to hear John doing nothing but hitting the root note of a chord. John surprises dancing through intervals we don't expect on his bass. Roger rocks along on his kit, pounding the daylights out of his snares, blasting heavy kick and toms during the extended breakdown. Such a treat. And Brian? Ooh, Brian. Here's where we get into some of the really cool stuff that I think on a casual watch or listen not everyone's going to notice this about the live performances. 
we get not one, not two, but three guitars from Brian in this song. The first is an Ovation Pacemaker 16-15 12-string acoustic, which he'd layer beautifully with Freddie's playing. And he strung that guitar upside down, by the way, which made playing some tunes easier, he claimed. I found this fantastic article, you guys. I think it just came out last year, actually. I found all of this information about Brian's vault, which contains all these old guitars he's had forever. And he talked about how each of them was played. And that's where I found this stuff, you guys. I love this stuff. Now, second... He played a 1978 Fender Telecaster featured during the solo. And finally, Brian's Baby, his red special. He'd close out the song during its extended rockier outro, playing his own handmade guitar. And what fun the outro was. John, Brian, and Freddie would jam together. Notably during Montreal, where we get several fantastic shots of them boogieing and enjoying the moment. Brian and Raj bursting out accompanying backing vocals that unforgettable Ready Freddy. <laughs> Such a treat, that one. Surprisingly complex, it seems, right? This song, a little piano occasionally, courtesy of Morgan Fisher at Milton Keynes. I love that moment, that Ready Freddy, that glide up, that vocal break that Roger gives us. So many people live for that. Ready, Freddy? I, I love that moment. So fun. It feels like when you compare this against those harder, heavier, dramatic numbers, this feels like a breath of fresh air. And I think that's what makes it so special in the entirety of Queen's catalog. This is a breath of fresh air. I have so many fun facts and band critique to get through, you guys. Fabulous stuff ahead. Freddie really did write this in five or 10 minutes in the Munich Hilton. It came to him in the bathtub. I want to make, an, make a point to say that he didn't actually write this and play it in the bathtub. He got the idea in the bathtub, but he promptly wrapped a towel around himself after he got out and he composed this on acoustic guitar. And it was written as, yes, a tribute to Elvis Presley and perhaps Sir Cliff Richard. That comment was actually something Roger said, Cliff Richard, I believe. Roger made that comment that Freddie did a, a remarkable job sort of emulating that style. And I think that's where that came from. So Freddie wrote this and then he ran it back to the studio where Roger, John, and producer Mac were working and Freddie insisted they record it before Brian arrived. <laughs> so the reason for that is because there are comments that, oh, Brian's not going to like this. And he wasn't there as early that day because they had a somewhat late night the day before, I believe. So yeah, they kind of knocked this out for the most part before Brian was actually in the studio. Brian plays the Fender Elite Telecaster, which he actually borrowed from Roger. It's Roger's guitar. But perhaps under protest, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the protest part of that in a little bit. I've got some quotes from Brian on that one. This was the first song the boys wrote for the game. 
So yeah, <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of ideas floating around just yet until Freddie was in the bathtub and this came to him. And thus began the writing of the tracks for the album, The Game, with this one, a crazy little thing called love. And Roger confirmed that when he appeared with John on the broadcast of Tiz Was in 1979, interviewing with Sally James. That's just one of many conversations I've seen with at least Roger and Sally. I know I've seen her speak with at least him multiple times. This was the first European 12-inch single release with We Will Rock You from the Live Killers recording as the B-side. During the video production of Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which was directed by Dennis de Valance, or is it Balance? I'm so sorry. I should have looked that up. Clapping hands sticking out of the floor were a last minute edition visual. And it was actually Queen's personal staff lying on their backs under the stage. And they enjoyed some Jack Daniels during the shoot, along with plenty of giggles. And apparently they were quite lucky to get the shots of those hands clapping at just the right moments. It's kind of funny. Whenever I see Grease Lightning from Grease, it reminds me of this video and vice versa, actually. And I, I, you have to remember, Grease came out in 78, came out two years before this album was released. So they're very, very close in their appearance here. But yeah, with the, the black leather and the slicked hair, even the sound of the song, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, I think about Grease Lightning. So I kind of go back and forth on those two. And I think part of the success of this song most certainly came from this little bit of a revival of that style and that sound after Elvis passing away. It was a nod to his greatness. And I think that's what made this crazy little thing called love so popular. The boys received gold discs celebrating sales of Crazy Little Thing Called Love presented to them by Mrs. Gertrude Schilling. And she was a special guest to the band's hosted Silly Hats party, which followed their performance at the Lyceum Ballroom in London during the Crazy Tour. Country artist Dwight Yoakam did a cover of this, which he released as a single in 1999. This has also been covered by Juice Newton, Diana Ross, Maroon 5, Josh Kelly, and Michael Buble, just to name a few. There are many more. And I'm sure the number of people who performed this live as a fun little number during their own gigs, probably countless. Guys, I have so much band critique. I love it when I can find words from the boys themselves about a song or an album, or anything <laughs> about their style, whatever it is, I love it when I find them. And there are many for Crazy Little Thing Called Love. In Melody Maker, May 2nd of 1981, Freddie confirmed this song's beginnings. Quote, Crazy Little Thing Called Love took me five or 10 minutes. I did that on the guitar, which I can't play for nuts. And in one way, it was quite a good thing because I was restricted, knowing only a few chords. It's a good discipline because I simply had to write within a small framework. I couldn't work through too many chords, and because of that restriction, I wrote a good song, I think, unquote. And he's on to something here. You guys, this style of play, the style of song, is generally minimal 
in chord structure. You don't get a whole lot of chords in a song like this anyway. And therefore, I think Freddie's minimal chord playing knowledge on the guitar did him a huge favor here, absolutely. And he's aware of it, which I love, that he knows that because he was so restricted, it gave him everything he needed to knock this out without overthinking or overplaying it, which is easy to do. It's really easy to go over the top. And we've heard the guys do that. We've heard the guys do that in an entire album. We heard them do it on Queen 2. And part of that was just the enthusiasm of having all of this proper studio access, right? But here, Freddie simply grabbed a guitar and knocked it out. And it's perfection. He elaborated further in the Billboard Book of Number One hits about this song saying, quote, we arranged the song at band rehearsals the following day with me trying to play the rhythm guitar. Everyone loved it, so we recorded it. The finished version sounded like the bathroom version. It's not typical of my work, but that's because nothing is typical of my work, unquote. Oh, the enigma Freddie always was. I love him. I love it. Raj interviewed with Sounds Magazine in 1980 saying, quote, we just went to Munich as we like the city and put it, the album, together there, ending up with far too many songs. Crazy Little Thing was the easiest, and we had that out in a matter of hours, and the rest was just a case of go in the studio, get a bit drunk, and bash it out, unquote. Is that Dragon Attack, Raj? I'm almost certain. It is. I am certain it is. Brian was the one who said that they probably most certainly played that one having a good time in the studio. In 1982, with On the Record, Brian said, quote, I used one of Roger's really old, beat-up, natural wood Telecasters. I got bludgeoned into playing it. That was Mac's idea. I said, I don't want to play a Telecaster. It basically doesn't suit my style. But Crazy Little Thing Called Love was such a period piece, it seemed to need that period sound, unquote. A great article, Music Radar from this year, Brian talked those various guitars he used other than his beloved Red Special, saying he thought this song needed that period sound, the James Burton telly sound, and he wanted to try it on his own guitar. He wanted to try to emulate that sound on his own guitar because he likes to play the Red Special. Can't say I blame him. When you've got your own guitar, you built it. That is what you always want to play. That is what you always want in your hands. But Mac talked him out of it. On the absolute narrative, Roger and Brian commented on this. Roger first saying, quote, the first thing we recorded in Munich, the first of many and a great sounding record. And as I remember, we were working hard on the album a couple of months later to be told this had gone to number one in America. It was quite weird. That was good news. We had a big celebration, unquote. Brian chimed in saying, quote, amazing, gave us a great charge to finish off the album. The boys had recorded most of this by the time I got to the studio that day. I came in to hear this track they just put down with Freddie playing acoustic. Freddie was really a good acoustic player. He was very modest about it, but he could really play the acoustic guitar very well in an inimitable style, very frenetic kind of style. I remember he wrote Ogre Battle on the acoustic guitar, unquote. Do you guys remember that? All those dives ago. Come to Ogre Battle Bite. Freddie wrote that song on acoustic guitar. 
which makes sense. That riff. Great riff, that one. Why did I just realize how awesome that is? I got to go back and listen to that. Okay, moving on with crazy little thing called love, some more awesomeness. I have critics, comments. I have a little bit. How dare they? Here we go. Steve Pond of Rolling Stone, quote, stiffness was the most distinctive characteristic of crazy little thing called love. Once you got past the obligatory, gee whiz, is this queen feeling? And the incessant airplay got a lot of us past that feeling pretty quickly. It's the same with the rest of the game. Freddie Mercury sings, it swings, woo-woo. It jives, woo-woo. It shakes all over like a jellyfish. But the band can merely plod through material that demands some suppleness, unquote. I really don't get why Rolling Stone and some of these other publications out there, especially at the time, were so critical of Queen going into this kind of genre. They kept saying it. Oh, this is totally unconvincing. This doesn't sound like it should. This is Queen trying to be something they simply cannot ever be. And I say, how dare you? Because this is the perfect example of Queen. Again, they can play anything. And they can do it with the most style, grace, polish, swagger, attitude, edge, angst, tenderness that is demanded of whatever genre it is. And I think this kind of song proves that. There have been so many moments where we've heard the guys go into genres that seem to make no sense, but it's queen. That's why it does make sense. 39 by Brian. You Take My Breath Away by Freddie. Fun It by Roger. Who Needs You by John. All of these guys have gone into zones and added elements of things. Brian and his sitar-sounding acoustic. Roger and that woodblock in Loser in the End. Every single one of the guys has not just written a whole song in a genre we don't expect. They've added elements and sounds and instruments that we don't expect. They come once and they never come again. Am I digressing? I don't care. This is how much I love the boys. Their versatility, their talent, their innovation, their let's throw this in there because it sounds cool. Nobody expects it. Boom. Done. Moving on, let's talk some praise for a crazy little thing called love. Quote, well done, queen. This is totally unlike any other singles you've released. It's slick, smooth, finger snapping, and Freddie's voice suits it down to the ground. That was from Record Mirror. Can you believe it? That is actually a review from the single's release. That is not a contemporary review. Not retrospect, that was written at the time of the single release. How about that? Washington Post said, quote, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, a 50s revival, is the album's one fun number. Now, yeah, okay. I suppose that's actually a little bit of a dig, too. But I threw it in there because they are praising the song for its funness. And I love that. I'm choosing to look at the positive spin of that statement. For the fandom, this song, the love for it is right up there with 
love of my life, as an audience favorite, and as such a lovable side of Freddie. Such a lovable side of Freddie. I think when people think about Freddie's live performances, his persona on stage, they think about things like Another One Bites the Dust and his strut and his prancing around all over the place in pretty much every number. And of course, Love of My Life, singing with the audience, to the audience, for the audience, and they sing it back alongside Brian's beautiful acoustic. There are elements of Live Freddy that we remember the most. And I think this song with him on acoustic guitar is definitely one of those moments that's extremely appreciated. It's interesting there have been discussions around Queen's more repetitive songs like this one and how those seemed to be the ones America loved the most. Crazy little thing called Love, We Will Rock You, Another One Bites the Dust. These songs were all the biggest hits in the U.S. And when you think about the repetition in them or the simplicity of their structure, We Will Rock You is stomps and claps, voices, and Brian on guitar. Another One Bites the Dust is extremely stark in its production. Very funky as well, very dancey as well. And of course, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. It's quite minimal and simple in its structure too. We've got six chords. But the U.S. was like, yes. And when you think about at the time of the late 70s, early 80s, other songs, disco songs that were really popular and had a lot of repetition in their phrasing, in their verses, in their choruses, it makes sense. Something about that, I think even to this day, The U.S. in general likes a good, easy-to-sing, repeatable phrase in a song. I don't know what that's about. And maybe it goes beyond the U.S. Maybe it's a comforting thing, and many people throughout the world over are all about a song that is easy to memorize, understand, and sing along to. Now, you could contrast that with Bohemian Rhapsody, which has so many different phrases in it. It's this rock opera masterpiece, prog rock, Complete 180 from this that we have here. Isn't it amazing, you guys, to think about where we've gone with Queen? Where we've gone and we've just touched the 80s. We're not even, we're not even through some of the most innovative stuff yet. Because as the guys move into the synthesizer phase more, they're going to do more interesting experimentation. Even if the songs are generally shorter than the ones we had with less key changes as well. But that's just an interesting note, that there's a lot of repetition here and in these other songs that were hugely popular in the United States. But you can't deny the genius that this thing is. Acoustic Guitar Freddy, yes! You can almost hear his nails hitting the strings and the frets. He attacks that guitar just like he does the piano. Confidence. And it's such a simple riff. It's almost reminiscent of We Will Rock You in a way. But how recognizable this riff is. The moment you hear that intro, a double snare snap, John arrives on bass on tonic third, fifth, and a brief accent of six. 
before repeating in a little bit of a variation. Claps again. Delightful. Addicting. So happy, despite the narrator's uncertainty and the hesitation. I ain't ready. Crazy little thing called love. That fill and John rising up the scale. A brief pause, but we're right back in a verse with more jiving than before. Harmony vocals offsetting Freddie's fabulous lead. He's so incredibly smooth, natural in his lower range. It really resonates beautifully, but there's still a snap and a sureness in the delivery. Uh, this thing called love. What a great touch, that little uh, this. Great touch. It cries. Like a baby. Those call and response vocals. Shakes all over like a jellyfish. And those growing oohs. That is the cherry behind that moment. This is so early rock and roll. Totally devoid of Queen's early edge and hard rock approach, but they sound so good here. Another pause. There goes my baby. She knows how to rock and roll. More brilliant delivery from Freddie. Oh, yeah, I do like singing this song. I was just, <laughs> you guys, can you tell? I love singing this song. I was just vacuuming <laughs> before I did this and I was singing this song. It's so great. John on that bass line though, dance away. You know, you want to. John probably is playing it in my imagination right now. She gives me hot and cold fever. She leaves me in a cool, cool sweat. That voice break, ah. Then a little rockabilly turnaround. Trade-offs, guitar, percussion. That dance with Roger Stickwork. Those accidentals on guitar. Hemiola, triplets. The fill of snares from Roger that brings us, reels us back in. And there's Brian on Roger's Telecaster. Oh, his musical conversation with Freddie in this phrase. Take back seat, hitchhike. Take a long ride on my motorbike. Brian's solo here. It's very distinct from his others. Yes, it's still lyrical, but he captures the essence, the vibe, and the style of the sound so perfectly. He almost fools us into thinking someone else played this. But his vibrato that sings out through even the Telecaster, undeniable, soulful, moving. The way he slides into and bends the notes, double stops, lots of third intervals. Then, we'll turn around again. Yeah, Freddie. But ooh, into the claps and Freddie and that fun reverb. I've gotta be cool, relax, get hip, get all my tracks. The backing vocals with those minor inflections, the way they sneak in and fade out, the subtle warmth of it all. Ready, Freddy? There it is. There it is. <gasps> Crazy little thing all love. One more time, Freddy and that other voice, a.k.a. the Telecaster, trade-off. This outro, this repeated phrase, the playfulness of those various deliveries. Yeah, yeah. This is playtime indeed. In less than three minutes, Freddy and the boys deliver a song that certainly immediately became massive in its own right and continues to hold a special place among Queen fans and beyond into the greater music and music lover community. Crazy Little Thing Called Love might be 
one of Queen's simplest but most loved numbers. This is another one of those songs similar to Freddie's Somebody to Love. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who doesn't enjoy this because it's Queen doing a throwback style with such success. This is a remarkable little number that stands so high in Queen's entire catalog. Seriously, I've known about this song for longer than most of their work because, of course, like many other hits, this is big in the Queen world. In the music world, this song is big. I've known about it forever, but I've fallen more in love with this. And clearly the entire world did and still loves it. This was the boy's first US number one. It's currently Queen's sixth most popular song on Spotify. 445, 50 million streams, something like that. Platinum certification in the US and the UK. Gold in Denmark, Italy, Netherlands, and New Zealand. This song is still big around the world. And I got to tell you guys, I had more fun doing this Queen Deep Dive, researching it, learning about it, reading these comments from the guys, listening to interviews, listening to this song countless times. I had more fun doing this than I've had in a while. Not to say that I don't love doing Queen Deep Dives. I wouldn't still be doing them if I didn't enjoy this all the time. But something about Crazy Little Thing Called Love reinvigorated my enthusiasm for this whole process. And I'm looking forward to getting through more of the game and getting into more of these stylistic turns that take us down these surprising avenues where Queen still dominates at the end of the day. But that is Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Go listen. Pick a live performance. Live Aid. Milton Keynes, Montreal, those moments, like I said, Freddie, Brian, John, in the shot, in the frame together, almost back to back. And if you watch closely, there's so much communication going on between the three of them, certainly the four of them, even though Roger is behind them on the drums. There's so much happening between them when they play live. I haven't talked about that in a while. How They knew exactly what to do simply by watching a turn of the head, a look of the eye, a nod, a movement. They knew each other so well. They knew exactly what to do. There are moments where a string breaks or somebody misses a cue and someone else can always step up seconds later. Rarely do the guys have a major slip up, and that's because they can all rely on each other themselves to know exactly what to do if disaster strikes, and it sometimes did. But they always saved it. Crazy little thing called love. Go enjoy the live performances. They're so much fun. They're so long and extended, and that boogie-woogie piano you get sometimes is such a joy. Wonderful. This whole thing is wonderful. Enjoy it. Rock out to it. I kind of wish the album version was longer, you guys. I'm sure some of you do too. But I'll be back again next time. Keep yourselves alive. When was the last time I sang that? Keep yourself alive. Yeah. Keep yourself alive. All you people. Wow. Voice crack. All you people. Keep yourself alive. That was better. Okay, you guys. Sing it out. Even if you can't. 
I don't care what they said in Step Brothers. Did you guys ever see Step Brothers? <laughs> John C. Reilly. Was he the one that said that if you can't sing, sit down? <laughs> when they talked about opening their karaoke bar. All right, guys, I won't ruin more of the movie for you. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a, it's a little crude, but it's fun, that one. Step Brothers. Okay, guys, that's enough out of me. No more randomness. Go enjoy Queen. I'll be back next time.